Meanwhile, let's open to the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you probably know, is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the beginning of the sermon. It extends right on over to chapter 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ says that you are the salt of the earth. Look at what verse 13 reads. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Again, here we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Christ delivered while speaking to his disciples. And I'm not speaking of just the twelve. I'm speaking of a whole array of people who were following Christ. They were uh, um, following him and Jesus Christ pauses on the side of a hill or a mountain and he speaks to them. He's up here and they're down below, further down, and, and his voice carries down to them. And he speaks on various different topics pertaining to one's soul and one's life here on this earth. And here he tells his disciples, this church, that you are the salt of the earth. Now today that expression is used to commend people. That's usually older people will say it. Say, oh, he's the salt of the earth. Oh, she's the salt of the earth. Usually referring to people who are very kind or generous or willing or loving. But notice here that when Jesus Christ uses the expression, you are the salt of the earth, he is referring not to just nice people in general. He is referring to the Christian. He is referring to the disciple, the follower of Christ. The Christian is called the salt of the earth. Now this past week, there was in the news a very practical example of someone who displays this very characteristic of being the salt of the earth. His name is Coach Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy is a Marine Corps veteran who worked as an assistant coach at the Bremerton High School football team in Bremerton, Washington. And for seven years... Coach Kennedy would make his way out to the 50-yard line at the end of the game, bow down, and pray. Seven years he did this. He invited no one, but he by himself spoke to God. In this public arena, people saw him. That was intentional, but he wanted to pray, and that's exactly what he did. He was making a statement He was making a statement regarding the importance of prayer. Now, he could have very easily gone into a private place and prayed. It would have been very effective in terms of prayer. But he wanted to go one step further. He wanted to say, not only do I want to speak to my God, but I also want to exercise my constitutional right to pray publicly. And I wanted to make this statement, prayer is important. I want people to see that prayer is important. I want people to see that people still pray. I wanted to see I wanted people to see that there is something missing in our lives and that is prayer. And so he very publicly went out to the 50-yard line and he knelt there and he prayed. And eventually over these 7 years other people joined him. Some adults joined him, but namely some high school teammates joined him. They were uninvited, they were uncoerced, they came willingly. Well, some people complained. 
We have a man out there in a 50-yard line praying, and that's just not right. It's offensive. (laughs) Of all the things we do at public schools today, right? (laughs) That's offensive. And so he was told by his superiors, hey, listen, you know, if you really want to pray, we'll give you a private room by the lockers. You can pray there. He said, oh, no, I don't want to pray there. I want to pray out in public. And so he was told to stop. And he refused to stop. And so he was removed from his position as one of the coaches. Based on the notion that it appeared that the state school was advocating, initiating, and carrying out religious activity. And they argued on the basis of separation of church and state. Well, Coach Joe went to court. And he lost in court, so he took it to the next level, and he lost again. And he pursued this for seven years, and eventually it made it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court made a decision this past week, a decision of six to three, saying that Coach Joe Kennedy is allowed to pray in public. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the opinion stating this, quote, A government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a personal religious observance based on a mistaken view that it has a duty to suppress religious observances, even as it allows compatible or comparable secular speech. The Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. That's quite a statement. And so now, Coach Joe Kennedy has been reinstated, if he would like to, be part of the team once again. And he is allowed to pray at the 50-yard line. What we see here is a man who insisted on being salty, the salt of the earth. And what he did is going to have a significant ripple across the nation in regards to religious freedom. Personally, I am surprised that the Supreme Court advocated what he was doing. It will have a ripple effect. By praying, this Christian man seasoned the nation with God's truth. So let's take a look at the words of Jesus Christ here in Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. Let's talk a little bit about your salt consumption. Some of you are concerned about your salt consumption. This morning I want to suggest you take up a lot of salt. Consume a lot of salt. If the church is what it should be, the church will be the salt to this world. And in order for the church to be salt, then every individual Christian must be salt. We can compare it to the church being the salt shaker and every individual Christian being the grains of salt. And salt is essential. Salt is essential. It was the philosopher Pliny the Elder who noted in Latin, sine sale vita humana no protest digeri. What I discovered is that that's a very nice way to tell my wife we need salt in the food. Now, as we're growing older, what I noticed is that my idea of salty is not her idea of salty. 
And I don't know if she's just trying to make things a little healthier and putting less salt in, or I just desire more salt. But what I've learned is that I could say, sine sale, vita humana, no potes digeri. Because no cook wants to hear, well, it doesn't taste good, it needs more salt, right? I know that when I cook, I just sit there and wait for everybody to say, oh, this was very good. And I rarely cook, but I love to hear when they say, oh, this is really good. And I think sometimes they're exaggerating, but they tell me so anyway. But my wife does most of the cooking at home, and I know she doesn't like it when I reach for the salt shaker. In fact, the salt shaker is usually the other side of the room. (laughs) I have to get up in order to use it. And she always makes it look like... Are you telling me that after all that work, you don't like what I did? <laughs> so I have a new remedy. Sine sale, I tell her. Vita humana no potes And she has no idea what I said, but... But it makes me feel good. What does it mean? Well, here it is, honey. Without salt, human life is not sustainable. <laughs> Salt is essential, my friends. It penetrates, it permeates everything it touches. Salt is quick, salt is powerful. It can add flavor to your food quickly, it can raise your blood pressure when it's low, it can eat through cement. And Christians are called to be the salt of the earth. Now, in ancient Israel, The prophets were the salt of Israel. But today, in the church, the church is to be the salt for the entire globe. It's quite a calling. Meaning that you must possess saltiness. Well, the term, the slang word saltiness, uh, often refers to, um, uh, to something that's a word, a joke, a language that's being used that's inappropriate. Well, that's kind of salty language, right? Today, it's more familiar as being someone who's irritated or angry. You know, that, that the guy's very salty about the review he read. But when I'm speaking of salty, I'm speaking here of, of salty in a positive sense, as a seasoning Uh, Matthew Henry said it very eloquently. He said, have salt in yourselves, else you cannot diffuse it among others. In other words, you cannot spread salt to others unless you possess salt first. And then he quoted from Mark chapter 9 verse 50. He writes, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That's a great verse. If there's a verse worthy of being underscored in your Bible, grab your highlighter now. There it is, Mark 9.50. Have salt in yourself, be at peace with one another. In other words, the salty person is a person who produces peace within God's people. We must possess saltiness. The salt of grace, not the salt of criticism. The salt of affection, not infection. The salt of kindness, not self-righteousness. The salt of humility, not egotism. The salt of peace, not combative. 
We must be salty so that we can do what salt does. And the goal of being salt is that those who are touched by us will become salted too. Salt imparts a portion of its taste to everything it touches. And so you are called the salt of the world. You are to be the one who will be touching and making salty everyone you encounter. What does salt do? Well, let's take a look at the value of salt. I'll give you four different values for salt. They're still true today, but even more so in the ancient days. The value of salt, first of all, is that it will season the world. Salt will season the world. In love and in grace, according to God's purpose, uh, God sends his people into this unsavory world in order that we will season the world with the knowledge of God and with the love of Jesus Christ. That we will season the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a life-giving seasoning. That's what we are to do. That's what salt does. It's like a delicious meal on Thanksgiving Day. Everybody who's at the table will enjoy it. It brings delight to everybody who participates. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus Christ said this. He says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Even the angels who participate in your salt rejoice. And these angels are rejoicing not because they're surprised, but because life is imparted. You see, whatever the salt of God's people touch, it affects with its unique taste. You are called to be the salt of the earth. Well, how does the gospel season our lives? Well, let me give you three ways in which the gospel seasons the life of the believer. First of all, salt provides freedom from the past. If you take a look at John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, today, uh, this weekend, we celebrate American freedom, but American freedom pales in comparison to the freedom that Christ gives. Christ gives to us a freedom that delivers us from the chains of our sin-filled past. A freedom that now allows for for there to be fellowship between God and myself. Freedom from everything that has occurred in my past. There is no sin that God will not forgive. Christ forgives and he wipes them away. He frees us from our past. He takes our sins and separates them as far as the east is from the west. The two never meet. So that's one way in which we season the world. Not only does he provide freedom from the past, but he provides purpose for the present. In my opinion, and I think many of you will agree, life becomes very disagreeable, very unpleasant when you live from day to day, year to year, without any particular purpose. And I must say, maybe you would agree, I think you will, that 
living for yourself is a lot of fun. There's a lot of pleasure there, but it is also very short-lived. It is empty, and it happens very quickly. It's not true that only the young, die, only the good die young. It's not true at all. Living a life with purpose is what the salt of Christ does for us. Uh, with your change of your past falling off, you can now march forward. You can march forward with definition and with direction. In other words, you know who you are and you know why you're here. That's what salt does for you. That's what the gospel salt will do for you. Suddenly you know why God has given you another day of life. Why he's giving you another week, another month, another year of life. Suddenly there's purpose in your day. And not only is there purpose, but that purpose is couched and soaked with this. All for the glory of God. Here's my purpose. I live in order to bring glory to God. And as I live to bring glory to God, God blesses me over and over and over and over again. And suddenly life is good. It tastes good. Jared Wilson adds to this point. He says uh, uh, that with this purpose, there also comes power. There also comes power. He says, this means that we have the power to experience joy amid suffering, hope in the depth of pain, obedience in the face of temptation, and forgiveness in the aftermath of sin. So God frees us from the past. He gives us purpose for the present, but he also provides hope for the future. The unknown element of the future brings a significant degree of anxiety in most people. Not knowing what tomorrow will bring makes people anxious. But life becomes very appetizing when you know that the future, your future, is secure because God is in control. Because your life rests in his hands. Life becomes very livable, very enjoyable, very appetizing when you know that your future is in his care. You see, he provides through his gospel truth the salt that you become, which you can share with others. Not only is salt a seasoning for this world, but salt is also a preservative. Salt preserves the world, as you well know, is decaying. And it's not decaying because of climate change. It's not decaying because of unsavory politics. The world is putrefying because of the sin in it. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 describes the world this way. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And we all know how painful childbirth is. And we wonder, what is this world going to produce? What is going to be born from all this pain and havoc? Salt, the Christian as salt, preserves this decaying world. It slows down the decay. In a world without refrigeration, as you well know, Salt was used as a means by which uh, food could last longer in storage. And so they would salt it very heavily. 
And that salt, my friends, the church comes to slow down the decomposing of society. You see how important God's church is? We are the salt of this earth so as to slow down the decomposition of society. That's our task. And notice here, Jesus Christ said, you, it's very specific, right? You are the salt of the earth. You, Christian, are the salt of the earth. So, so this is not just simply a benefit to us, but rather we become a benefit to the world. You preserve this world through your life and through your doctrine. You preserve the world. You are the salt of the earth. So when you promote what is good, when you teach what is honest, when you give honor to whatever is honorable, when you speak the truth of Jesus Christ, when you do what is right, when you do what is required, when you promote what is of good repute, you are preserving the world around you. And not only is it a preservative, but it's also a cleanser. The salt as an agent for cleaning. Now, years ago, when I was a boy, um, my grandmother would use salt on bruises. You know, today, uh, most of you grew up, if you have a bump on your head, mom always put ice there, right? Well, where I come from, it was not ice, it was salt. It would take a little water, a little salt in your hand, and you would put it on a bump, whether it was your head or on your shin. And I remember in my neighborhood, there were plenty of kids, and instead of walking around with ice on their bump, they would have salt on their heads. My grandmother would take it one step further. Uh, she would say, well, that bump is getting too big, and she would take a butter knife and actually press the bump back. It was awful. I would rather live with the bump. The bump would sometimes come out the back, you know. And, and I learned very quickly that whenever there was a bump on my head or on my shin, you just pull my sock up or let the hair swoop down. Don't let grandma see the bump. That's for sure. But salt has a, an ability to reduce swelling. Uh, salt, like ice, uh, works to some degree, but it's also used as a cleanser. It would even be used to cleanse wounds, and of course it would burn, but it worked. Whenever medication was primitive or better methods are not available, salt, salt water, has quite a few benefits. It's used as a disinfectant, a cleaning agent. And so, my friends, when the Bible says that you are the salt of the earth, it's saying that Christians have the task of cleaning up the mess left behind by sin. And how do we clean up the mess left behind by sin? We do it by proclaiming the glory and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We do it by first repenting of our own sins. By being willing to not only repent of my sins, but also extend forgiveness to those who wrong us. Again, Mark 9.50, you are the salt. You are salt. Have salt in yourselves, be at peace with one another. So that disciples of Jesus Christ are dis disinfectants. Uh, in, in a very soiled world where moral standards are low. But you cannot be a disinfectant unless first 
you have obtained the salt yourself. Unless you're salty, you cannot extend it to others. And also, salt had the value of being a fertilizer or being part of a fertilizer content. What they would do is add just a little bit of salt to their fertilizer. And the idea would be that through that fertilizer, that salted fertilizer, they would be able to help things grow. And so we can make this application that as Christians who are the salt of the earth, we are to help one another grow. We are to nurture each other in Christ so that we can help produce the fruit of the Spirit in one another. And beyond these walls, fertilizer. We have to expect to be spread and used. It's that simple. You must be dispersed out of the shaker in order to be effective. But here in the text, we see that, that there's a possibility that salt will lose its saltiness. And what happens if salt loses its saltiness? It becomes saltless salt. Have you ever seen saltless salt? The truth is, is that sodium chloride salt is actually a very stable compound. It will not lose its taste. It will not lose its flavor. However, notice here that Christ makes a very strict contrast. He says, what if the salt loses its saltiness? Of what good is salt if it has no saltiness to it? And the answer is very clear. Saltless salt has no real value. In fact, Jesus Christ asked the question, he says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And the answer is, it can't. It can't be restored. Saltless salt remains tasteless. Now, today, we get our salt from uh, salt flats. For example, if you drive through Saskatchewan on a hot summer day, you feel like you're surrounded by snow, even though it's the middle of July. It's beautiful. There's not much else to see in Saskatchewan. At least not that I saw. But that part was beautiful as we drove through, and you're surrounded by what looks like snow mounds. It's all salt. Of course, we also get our salt by simply allowing salt water to evaporate. The water disappears, and it leaves behind the salt. However, in the ancient days of Israel, salt was gathered by going to the salt marsh and taking up a scoop of salt water, salt water and soil, with all its impurities. You would bring up this scoop, you would take it home, and there you would have your salt. And if you were not careful in time, this salt would dissolve in the water and it would leach out, leaving behind just the impurities and a very diluted salt, a saltless salt. It's not that really that salt lost its saltiness, it's that the content of that salt jar lost its salt. And therefore, when you went to cook, when you went to grab the salt, that salt jar had very little salt in it. And so Jesus Christ here is asking, of what good is your jar of salt if all the salt has been diluted and leached out? How can you restore the saltiness? You cannot restore the saltiness of that salt. And your salt then becomes essentially worthless. And so the church can lose its flavor too. Christ is making it very clear that the people of God, the very Christian, the very disciple, can lose her flavor, his flavor, your saltiness. 
If you, if you who are to season others have lost your saltiness, if you have lost your flavor, if you are void of spiritual enthusiasm, if you are dull towards the things of Jesus Christ, if your heart has no passion for his church or for his word, if you are not aware of your own sin, if your spiritual life is more lifeless than it is living, then you've lost your salt. And how in the world will you impact the world? How will you be the salt of this earth? Of what godly service are you to this world? Of what godly service are you to the church if you've lost your ability to impact? Of what godly service are you to God if you've lost your saltiness? What's the remedy for the disciple whose faith is flat? You know, we take salt and we pour it on meat that is bland, but there is no remedy for salt that is bland. There is no remedy for the Christian life, the Christian faith that is saltless. What can be done with a Christian whose life refuses? What can be done with a Christian life who refuses to make Jesus Christ your king? To the person, the Christian who refuses to relish his relationship with the Savior who refuses to walk in the path of righteousness. What can be done for you if you've lost your saltiness? My friends, there is no doctrine. There is no program. There is no methodology. There is no sermon. There is no stimulus whatsoever to make you flavorful or impacting once again. If your awareness of God's favor, if your knowledge of God's saving grace, if your awareness of Christ's redeeming love will not wake you up, then nothing will wake you up and make you salty again. The fear of hell will not make you salty. The opportunity to be used by God will not make you salty. Worship music will not make you salty. No book, no sermon, no program will bring back your salt potential to preserve society, to season the world, to cleanse from sin, to grow one another. If what God has given to you already in your knowledge of his saving grace does not encourage you to become salty, then nothing will. What is a Christian without the salt element in this world? Well, Christ makes very clear here in verse 13 that only salty salt is useful to his owner. What do you do with unsalted salt? Saltless salt, he says here, is good only to be tossed out on the road and stepped on by passerbyers. By pedestrians. It is interesting that salt was in the ancient days used to harden soil, and, and they would take salt 
and they would put it on the soil of, of their rooftops. Uh, their homes were made of mud. And, and to harden the roof, they, they would mix it with salt. And of course, people actually lived on the roof. It was an, often an extra room. It was a patio. And, and so they want to make sure that dirt is hard. And so often they made it harder with salt, or they would throw the salt out on the road just to harden the road to fill in some of the ruts that were there. But that's really not the intent of salt, is it? The truth is, is that that salt became valueless. I'm not saying that God does not love you if you're not salty. I'm saying that you will not impact your life or your world unless you become salty. You will not impact your church. You will not impact your family unless you have the salt of God in you. You are the salt of the earth. Do not lose the salt. The saltiness. As people who have found their freedom in Jesus Christ, let me close by saying this. There must be something different in the Christian. There has to be something in us that is noticeable. There's got to be something in us that is distinct from the rest of the world. Something that is admirable. Something that is impacting in the Christian's character and in your lifestyle. There must be something that is obviously not from us ourselves, but rather it comes from God. I'm calling that saltiness. We cannot be like the world if we expect to impact the world with the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's got to be a distinction. We cannot be like the world if we claim to be owned by God. So let me ask you, do you have God's saving grace? Then it has to be seen by others. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Then the fruit of the Spirit needs to be evident. Do you have God's truth? Then how is it making you different than the rest of the world around you? Are your habits different? Are your comments different? Are your attitudes different than the rest of the world? You see, my friends, salt is essential. Without it, humanity cannot be sustained. You are the salt of the earth. Let me close by quoting to you from J.C. Ryle. He said very wisely and very simply, dare to be unique and unlike the world. Be the salt of this earth. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for giving to us this great responsibility to be the salt to this earth, that we would be a cleansing agent, a preserving agent, a seasoning agent, a growing agent. We pray, O God, in gratitude, not only for the responsibility, but Lord, that you, by your grace, are able to actually make this happen in us. So Lord, I pray that each one of us here this morning who know you as Savior, would open our hearts that you would impact us so that we would impact our world, that you would make us salt, and that you would use us for your glory, and that we may know the pleasure 
of being of being used by God, living this sort of life before you and before men. In your name we pray, O Christ. Amen.